0: You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education, chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives, and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series, from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play.
1: Hello, everyone. It's Heather Welch from EDX Education, and as usual, we're excited to talk about our favorite topic, which is play or play based learning, learning through play at EDX Education. Over the past two years, we've chatted on this podcast with so many experts on topics from play, play play-based learning, social-emotional learning, value of play. We've created amazing educational resources, experiences, and toys. Now, we have also looked at value of play, social-emotional learning, stages of play, and today we have a special guest with us, award-winning therapist, Talia Filipelli founder of Star Therapy, discussing emotional wellness, social and emotional learning, trends in the USA for children, and also an exciting project she's been working on with the Genius of Play, and ideas for promoting wellness and mindfulness at home or in the classroom. Morning Talia, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Good morning Heather, thank you so much for having me on.
1: Now, Talia, not all my listeners will have heard of Star Therapy, so can I ask you to introduce yourself and also what was your inspiration for founding Star Therapy?
2: Sure. So um, I was really kind of hooked on psychology after I took my first intro to psych class my freshman year at Penn State. Um, I was just totally fascinated by what I was learning about the brain and evolution And what was so clear to me was our common experience as human beings made every experience I was having seem more like a shared experience than a unique and isolated experience that I was only having. And it really sparked my passion for helping others to kind of achieve that sense of peace that what we go through, we often think is so unique and it's just us. And it just became so obvious that that's really not the case. And so I really wanted to help people gain some clarity on that and be able to get through the tough stuff they were going through. And so star therapy, um, star is my middle name, which is where that that comes from. but the, you know, the genesis of it really had to do with wanting therapy and mental health to feel accessible to people. Mm. I was so, so frustrated with this concept of stigma. It just, it broke my brain that stigma was even a thing, right? Emotions are part of being a human. So how is it possible that mental health is stigmatized when it's part of the human experience? I really, I just did not understand it. And so I sort of set out on this path to open up a practice that, you know, created a space that was non-threatening, really accessible and helped people get like a concrete and productive experience that made them wanna brag about being in therapy. Like that was my ultimate fantasy. (laughs) I want people to come in, get therapy. Let's talk about our feelings. And I want you to have such a productive experience that you brag about being in treatment. Um, And so we set out, you know, I set out to do that and our practice has grown. We've been amazingly embraced by the Hoboken community um, here in New Jersey. And uh, it's been 12 years since
1: since, that, since we opened up. Oh, that's amazing. So you've got your 12th, 12th anniversary this year of yes. Star Therapy. And has it changed over the years or how
2: you've developed the clinic? It's evolved for sure. Um, you know, depending on what's happening in the world, of course, that will impact what people are coming in with, what they're struggling with. And it's been really interesting to watch the trends of how people are addressing their mental health. I think in a post-pandemic world that we're living in now, we're seeing a lot of people um, feel more ready for therapy, sort of recognizing how important and critical it is for just overall life satisfaction to be talking about what's going on in their lives. Um, And so that to me has been such a beautiful uh, silver lining, we'll call it, from a global pandemic that obviously we all struggled with, but there's been a real positive consequence, which is that people are ready and willing and recognizing that mental health is super important and and not to be ignored and not to be suppressed. Um, that it's really something we should be talking about um, for with everybody, especially children. And that's that's what we're here today to talk about. So I'm really excited to talk about how we can help support children's mental health.
1: Oh, absolutely. I do find that it's more the older and wiser generation that have more of a stigma nowadays than the actual younger generation. You know, they're happy to talk about their feelings. Say for example, I don't know, my parents would have found it a little bit harder or my grandparents to talk about their feelings. Do you feel it's the same? Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely
2: variation across um, generations for sure. Sometimes it's culturally informed. Sometimes you have sort of some unique families that have it baked in and it's been a part of their lives for for generations. So I think we've seen the gamut, but for the most part, there's definitely a more open-mindedness I see with the younger generation. Um, And I've been so impressed by the young people that I work with, children, teens, adolescents, just to talk to them about their emotions and to, you know, zip it and then let them kind of unload and process what they go through. It is impressive how connected to their emotions um, young people are. And it's been really a privilege to be in the therapy room with them and hear them be able to talk about this without feelings of embarrassment or stigma that definitely plagued older generations.
1: Natalia, I suppose that brings me to my next question is, you know, why is emotional wellness so important for children?
2: So health is health, right? So for children, to me, the way I think about it is it's never too early to start teaching our children about their emotions, right? As we know, emotions are part of the human condition. So to me, the more we can teach and kind of arm young people with emotional intelligence skills, what we see, and this is research-based, what we see is that children who are able to navigate their emotions earn better grades they stay in school longer. They're better prepared to navigate the world as they grow up. And they ultimately end up being more successful in life.
1: Absolutely. Do you find that the emotional wellness is interlinked with the physical and well-being as well of a child?
2: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The the connection between mind and body is well-researched and very much connected. And, and for children, and honestly, for all of us, Heather, <laughs> for children too, but for all of us. There is always going to be that connection, you know. And sometimes the the obvious examples can be when you're nervous about something, and you might feel those butterflies in your stomach, or you might have a stomach ache. Right? It's not necessarily driven by food that you've eaten. It's really an emotional response to what's going on, but shows up physically.
1: Yeah, like feeling anxious about a new experience, or not even as always out of your comfort zone, and then having to you know you have that you know you do feel a little bit I don't know I know that even my sons when they try something new sometimes at the start of school at the start of school you'll say oh you know I've got, I've got a stomachache," and you'll think well what have they eaten what are they? And then you'll actually say actually start school tomorrow or he's got a really big game tomorrow I mean I know these are small things but for him it's a really large thing it's a new friendship group it's a new teachers you know is he going to do well Does he going to like his new school or anything like that so they can come up as different. they can do come up physically as well, doesn't it? It's really interesting. I suppose you know, I mean, we've all been through the pandemic. we went through the pandemic. Let's hope we don't have another one. um look, have you seen more issues or trends in the USA for a need for you know emotional well-being and mindfulness activities at school and even at home because there's a lot of home learning at um in the USA. yes,
2: yes, a hundred percent. And you know the research, Many people have been kind of made aware of this through the media, but there was research published last year by the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, and they've sort of declared an epidemic, a mental health epidemic, yes, for children and young people. Um, And what we're seeing is that 20% of all children have an unidentified uh, mental health condition. And so that, like, if you think about that, right, 20% of children suffering from mental health symptoms If they go untreated, right? Just like if if, and you can compare this, honestly, Heather, you can compare this to a physical ailment, right? Think about diabetes going untreated for years and years and years. What happens, right? That condition just compounds and gets exponentially worse over time. And so mental health is very much the same. And so we see these children, and like by the time they're 18, we're seeing 40% of children meeting criteria for a mental health disorder. So An urgent response is basically what is happening right now. The the academy is really saying we need to respond now to protect children from the long-term effects of untreated mental health conditions. And we can do that at home. Absolutely. That's part of what we're going to talk about today, how to arm parents and caregivers with tools to help support their children's emotional wellness at home. And these programs have made their way into the classroom as well. So again, kind of a positive consequence of the pandemic, we're seeing a a much bigger commitment in school districts um, across the country and across the the globe to put these types of curriculum into schools so that children are learning at a very young age how to navigate their mental
1: health. It's an amazing thing. I know even in the UK, there's programs like they call it the ELSA program in schools, which is emotional literary support. And they do it from quite a young age for children to, that, you know, find it a little bit more difficult to self-regulate and to understand and just understand their emotions. Some children, I know that one of my, my smallest children, he, he finds it really hard to understand his own emotions. I love the new Emotional Wellness Playbook that you've developed with the Genius of Play. Can you let our li- listeners know more about this?
2: Yeah, so this was a really exciting collaboration with the Genius of Play, um, just for people who don't know the Genius of Play The Genius of Play is a nonprofit initiative with the mission to help parents raise healthy and happy kids through the power of play. Um, And their website has tons of free resources. You don't need a login. You don't need a password. Their their website has play ideas, expert tips, um, and other free resources for families. Um, They have a lot of contributing experts. I'm one of them uh, who writes articles, right, to help educate parents and inspire them in in their journey, we'll call it, of raising children. So the emotional wellness playbook is sort of a 20-ish page document that provides parents and caregivers with play-based screen-free activities that help kids ages three and up develop emotional intelligence and learn to express their feelings in a healthy way. Now, what we did was we designed the playbook using the framework of the five components of emotional intelligence as sort of a guideline. Um, And I'd be happy to talk about what emotional intelligence is and the five different components, if you'd like me to go into that.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We could. I'll tell you one thing I really loved about the playbook when I was reading over it is as a parent and also, you know, as a teacher caregiver, is that it wasn't let's buy a new activity. It was using what we have at home and making it work. So, you know, I mean, can I give one of the examples that I read? Is, is it? Sure, Please, like the, you know, the, was it, I call it a stuffy, like a stuffed animal birthday party or things like that. Like they were just things that we have at home anyway, if we've got children or you even have in the classroom and that you can actually just go through it rather than buying some new expensive item and some great program. It was a really lovely way to actually just be able to and really easy to be able to step back and implement at home or in a classroom. I think that was yes. an really important thing to look at as well.
2: Absolutely, you know the the main the our main focus is really to make this stuff accessible, right? To reduce the barriers, make it not a big mm-hmm. deal and re- really easy for parents, parents and caregivers. As we know, right? We're both moms. We have <laughs> enough on our plate. <laughs> and <working> as well. <laughs> yes, yes. The more you know, the more we can help parents be able to. <laughs> you know, do these things easily without a lot of supplies, without an extra trip to the store. Um, to me, that's the gold that parents and caregivers really need. And so that's exactly how we designed this. Um, you know, the supplies that required to do these activities, most people and families will have these things in their home. These activities can also be used as inspiration and they can be adjusted. If you don't have something at home, you can sort of swap ingredients in and out to make it work.
1: I know I love that so it was like a little recipe as well um yes, yes. everyone will have to actually have a look at it we will have the link in the we'll have the link in our um podcast profile as well so they can have a look they can click straight onto it but yeah can you please discuss the five components that would be really interesting actually to break down where it originally came from as well the ideas and the I suppose the substance behind behind the, yeah. the playbook
2: Sure. So emotional intelligence, um, the concept of it was developed by Dan Goldman. Um, he released a book in 1995, I believe called emotional intelligence. And he identified that there are five different components, but emotional intelligence in general is the ability to express and control emotions, yeah. but also the ability to understand, interpret, and respond to other people's emotions. Now, obviously, when you hear me describing this, a lot of the listeners will say, yeah, like that makes sense, of course. Um, But when you break it down, the components actually make it even more tangible. So the five components are self-awareness, which is being able to name and label the feelings that we are feeling. Things simple, a simple phrase, like I feel sad, I feel happy, I feel disappointed, I feel rejected, I feel embarrassed, okay? Just simply being able to name the emotion we're feeling, that's self-awareness. But even as adults,
1: some, some kind of, even as adults, some people would find that hard to do.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what the truth is? So often, their people are wrapped up in an emotional state, but they don't actually acknowledge or label what they're feeling. And what we know about the brain and how we process emotions is that if people can simply name the emotion that they're feeling and say it out loud, right? I feel mm-hmm. sad. What happens is our brain now can interact with the term. Once we give it a word and we label it, our brain can say, okay, sad. I understand, right? My brain understands what that word means. And now what happens is solutions start to emerge, right? If I feel sad, what can I do to improve my mood? What can I do to feel happier? Oh, well, maybe taking a, a walk in the fresh air will make me feel better. Maybe calling on, call on a friend will help me feel better. And so our brain automatically starts to engage in this problem solving effort. And very quickly, what we see is that those difficult emotions that we started with start to dissolve and they no longer have a hold on us. And before you know it, we've kind of switched emotional states and we're no longer feeling sad anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds very simple when you talk to it like that, doesn't it?
2: (laughs) Good. That's how I want it to sound because the truth is, Heather, this stuff is, is, it can be simple. It can be simple. And that is our goal. How do we simplify and help uh, parents be able to do these things and coach their kids in these ways um, that are not intimidating, not threatening? You don't need a degree to understand it. Our goal is to just make it really simple and easy for parents and caregivers. That's really lovely.
1: So first one was self-awareness. and number two. Yes.
2: So the next one is self-regulation. This is sometimes referred to as mood management, our ability to regulate our own emotions. Um, Empathy, which is getting a lot of airtime in the media now, right? The ability to feel what someone else is feeling or to be able to um, understand what someone else might be going through separate and apart from our own experiences. Um, Motivation. Which is super important. We're trying to, you know, help parents be able to instill an internal sense of motivation in children. So help them be able to conjure up motivation to complete a task or achieve a goal that is internal based on their desire to achieve that goal, not necessarily one hundred percent based on an
1: external reward,
2: yeah, no, so I that's don't. that's what we mean by motivation.
1: The intrinsic motivation <laughs> putting yes. the intrinsic motivation without the external factors yeah that's you know that's something amazing that children like with sport you find a lot of children naturally will have that or not naturally but they will have to complete a task but when it comes to homework and other things or even just schoolwork, unless they're interested it's really it can be difficult it depends you need to change the way that you're maybe administering the task or teaching the task or even facilitating the task to the children and yes. to have that intrinsic motivation.
2: Yeah. So what you're talking about, right. Is this idea of how do we present it? Right. And if we yeah. can help children engage with activities or tasks that are maybe not so exciting. To them. <laughs> <laughs> what we do is we, uh, I encourage parents to try and frame it as a challenge. Like, mm. okay. So, you know, this subject isn't your favorite, but you know what? Sometimes we have to do things in life that aren't going to be our absolute favorite thing. I bet you, though, you can get through it. I bet you can overcome this. Right. And so what we're doing is we're sort of framing it more as a challenge that we can rise to and overcome rather than this big problem to be avoided.
1: If that makes sense. It absolutely, absolutely makes sense. And number five.
2: Yeah, so the last one is social skills, right? Just interpersonal skills, being able to get along with other people, work cooperatively in a group. Um, you know, we we see that obviously at the youngest age in play groups with babies, we see that on the recess playground uh, for school-age children, we certainly see that in uh, high school and college with group activities and and projects and of course we see that in the workplace. So You know, these skills are um, really important across the lifespan. And so if we can plant these seeds early on in children's lives, we'll see them be able to master those skills earlier in life and then apply them to make their lives better.
1: That's really interesting. So, I mean, I've spoken to you before. I've had a child that had, you know, self-regulation. He he has that kind of like like, dysregulation to a degree. He's found it hard to self-regulate in stressful situations because of sensory processing and a few other things. But it's funny, then the, it then knock the knock-on effect is to social skills and to motivation to participate and all of those. So once one is knocked out, it sort of knocks them all out slightly when it comes to the like the five components.
2: So is the question kind of like, if one of them isn't, if a child hasn't mastered
1: one, will it complicate? Like it complicates then social. Does it doesn't complicate social. Well, we, that's what we found as parents that we found with our own child. And he may not be the most empathetic person as well. <laughs> 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 Let's just put it that way. That's learning. We're learning that
2: one. <laughs> I, well, and look at the word you just used though, right? What a great thing to highlight, right? That That you're learning, that your child is learning. And that's really what I try and emphasize with parents, you know, we are not born with these skills. Okay. These are not part of our makeup. These are skills that have to be learned and cultivated and mastered over the course of your life experiences. So, you know, if we have a five-year-old who is a little bit dysregulated, you know, developmentally, we would say that that's normal. There is a range that, that is considered developmentally appropriate for each age, uh, you know, that a child is, we'll say zero to 18. There's going to be a range. So, you know, for kids who might be struggling with dysregulation, that's not uncommon, but mm. it's a, it, we, we discuss it in terms of it's a skill they haven't mastered yet. They are right. And we can work on it and support them in mastering that over time. Um, but it's not going to be a light switch, right? This is not something that happens overnight. Mm. It's really something that's a journey for children and parents.
1: I was just tell you, that's another one. Have you found, I know we spoke about trends before, but due to the pandemic or was this just something that due to the pandemic, there's been a lot more of this or is it, do you believe as a, you know, over the years you've been a therapist is there's just that we're taking note of it now. It's always been there. We just have never taken note of it.
2: Yeah. I think the, the value and and importance of mental health and these types of skills has definitely always been there. I honestly, I feel in some ways grateful for the pandemic for really bringing these, these ideas to the surface, right? In a, in a more widespread global way where people are recognizing that resilience, right? Learning how to navigate tough experiences from the standpoint of what can I learn, right? If I'm gonna be going through this hard time, what wisdom can I extract? How can I grow? What can I learn? And how will this experience shape me in ways that strengthen me and lead me to become a better version as a direct result of going through this hard time? And that is really what resilience is. And that to me is, you know, in this sort of post-pandemic world we're living in, teaching children how to look at their life's challenges through that resiliency lens, through that lens of not poor me, but what can I, how can I benefit from this? What am I learning from this? That if we can help children and and everybody be able to look at their challenges through that lens, the compounding wisdom and learning that we will acquire and gather up over the course of our lifespan helps us the next time something challenging comes down the line. And that's life. right? We know that those things are always coming. We don't always know exactly what form or shape they'll take, but challenges are always there. And so if we can help strengthen children's ability to be resilient in the face of life's challenges, um, you know, we will literally be able to reverse this epidemic that the American Academy of Pediatrics
1: has sort of brought to light with their research last year pretty interesting that they've called it an epidemic so i'm not sure i'll actually have a look up after we speak today and see what they're saying more in the uk i don't think they call it an epidemic in the uk but i must say that all the system is is that there's, there's no there's no no one that is not in say the healthcare system that is has any space it's just absolutely bulging you know, there's no, if you need your child into one of the systems through the what we call at like the NHS here, it, it'd be years. I mean, it would take a long time if you need yeah. some assessments and things like that. The way that the system works here is just, yeah, it is really, really to its limit. Let's put it that way. Um, listen, I know that we're having a big chat. We've just gone a slightly off topic, but it's very important. I was just going to say, could you share three ideas to promote wellness at home and in the classroom?
2: Yes, of course. So one of my favorite things to uh, recommend parents and caregivers to do is assign age-appropriate chores at home. And some parents, Heather, they look at me and they're like, "What? I have a four-year-old. What do you mean chores?" Um, but the truth <laughs> is, <laughs> the truth is, there are age-appropriate tasks and responsibilities that young children can have in the home. And rather than looking at it as you know a punishment, which is typically why people have that reaction to me, <laughs> they think I'm trying to punish their children. But I <laughs> When I reframe it and I say, hang on a second, let's look at this through the lens of having a role, having a purpose in the home that is so confidence building for children. And and young our young ones let's be honest right they're excited about doing things that are grown. Yeah,
1: excited it's not <laughs> to they become teenagers they're not <laughs>
2: yes so but let's go for our little ones let's plant the seeds mm-hmm. where they can participate in the grown up processes that go on in our households by giving them um, a chore or something that they're responsible for because what we see is it becomes an opportunity. They do something, they complete a task. And I'll give you an example right out of my own house. I have a five year old. My five year old is pretty good at organizing. And I've complimented him several times on how much effort he puts into keeping his desk organized. Wow. So I said to him recently, Hey, hon, would you, you're so good at organizing, would you be willing to try and organize our Tupperware draw? And he said, Well, okay. And he went and he did it. And Heather, when he was done, he put such effort in. He emptied everything out. He, you know, used the shapes to make everything fit. And he felt so good about himself afterwards. It was so, and it's so simple. So again, like just reframing the idea of a chore. It's not punishment. It's giving this child a role in the household. Um, That I've seen it in my own house be such a positive thing for my kids. So- That's one thing definitely that's a a win-win for kids and for parents um, that they can be doing at home. The other thing to do at home, um, I typically talk to parents about their family dialogue, the the conversations that they're having with their children about their children's day. Now, most people, the conversation is, how was your day? Or it's, (laughs) (laughs) Or (laughs) or it's did you have a good day and I say to parents okay that's a little bit of a leading question because what if their day wasn't good right then what what typically happens is we'll see kids just zip it they won't even bring up the things that weren't good because their parent only asked about the good stuff and so the bad things that happen end up being suppressed and so in order to just sort of adjust that conversation, that very common conversation that's happening in all of our households, um, I offer parents two different options. The first one is called rosebud thorn. So you ask your child for a rose, which is a positive thing that happened that day. A thorn, which is the negative uh, something negative that happened that day or disappointing, something they didn't like. And then the bud is something that they're looking forward to, maybe later that day or later that week. So what that does is it really helps kind of transform the conversation to be more balanced. So the child has an opportunity to talk about the good stuff and to acknowledge that maybe something bad didn't happen. And like I mentioned before, just verbalizing those things helps those those feelings dissolve. So the conversation really helps children process emotions that took place that day. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always ask which superhero did you sit next to today? Or the, other, or the other question I ask for my children, because I know that, you know, one grunts and one answers me, really. <laughs> the other one I ask is, did you climb a mountain today? And I say, I climbed the mountain. Do you know which mountain I climbed? And I give them some story. And then they look at me going, there's no mountains at school, mummy. But I just think <laughs> at least talking to me. <laughs> absolutely. Anything to get them to talk, right? Pets and parents of parents, I
2: every parent I talk to wishes their kids talked more. So, you know, re you know rejiggering this chat so that children want to participate and they have concrete things that they can offer is really great. Um, and then, you know, the last idea I had, and this is this has really been integrated into at least in the US, we've had this integrated into our schools, health, and wellness curriculums, which is yoga, you know, oh, just yeah. movement. Yeah, movement. And we have a Simon says yoga activity in the playbook um, that parents can use as a reference or inspiration, but it's a way to help kids process their emotions and it combines that sort of mind-body connection as well
1: yeah no that's definitely and it's a way that they can i suppose if you're not as sporty as other children or coordinated at a certain age you can it's yoga is something that actually the movement you could do you could do if you're slightly dyspraxic or if you're you know not yes absolutely well
2: heather i'm also a believer in the power of yet and we've seen um carol dweck talks about the power power of yet which is, okay, so maybe we can't hold tree pose for 10 seconds right now, but I'm working on it. I haven't gotten there yet. And Mm -hmm. what it does is it promotes a sense of hopefulness that I'm not there right now, but if I work at it, I'll get there. So for kids who might struggle with their balance or have some physical limitations, we really want to reframe those challenges um, in a hopeful manner so that children persist,
1: that they stick to it, until they can be successful. Oh, I love that! It's like the building blocks, rather than the goal that's so far away they can't see it, and then they're like demotivated because they can't see the end. To, the end I mean, isn't
2: blocks. that all of us though, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it, is, it is all of us actually. When you when you think about it. Um. Now, listen. I know that we we've got only a little bit more time. I was going to ask, uh, where will the, our listeners be able to find the emotional play the the emotional wellness playbook?
2: So, the playbook is available right now on thegeniusofplay.org. It can be viewed online as a flipbook. Um, it can be downloaded, printed, uh, whatever is easiest for families. It's there. It is free um, and it's available on the website now.
1: And the other one is, Tally, if people are more interested in star therapy, where can they head to as well? Because might, they might actually be interested, yes, in emotional wellness, but they also want to read more about your practice and what you've been up to. Sure. So you can find information about our practice at startherapy.com.
2: That's star with two R's. So S-T-A-R-R therapy.com. Um, we have some articles up there that we've written. And then also my articles are available on thegeniusofplay.org as well.
1: And Talia, do you do anything online or is it only in the local area? Do you do, do you consult online as well?
2: Yeah. So really, I guess as a, um uh, again, a change after the pandemic, our practice was primarily for um, on-site sessions. Since the pandemic, we have become a permanent hybrid practice. So we do telehealth sessions as well as yeah. sessions in our Hoboken office.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Talia, for chatting with us today. It's great to hear more about emotional wellness and the project that you've been working on, which I'm really excited about myself. And I look forward to sharing with the Genius of Play, the Emotional Wellness Playbook. And also, you know, things like the, the five components. You've given me some things to look at and research and to um, just look more into. I mean, I could put implement them to my own my own family life, which would always be good with my my very busy boys, <laughs> which is lovely. <laughs> Um, I I yes. can
2: relate. I have two boys myself. We well, have a very busy <laughs> yeah. household
1: over here. <laughs> we have a very a very very a very busy household with boys. So, but it's a, it's always lovely, and it's always there's it always something new that happens every day. <laughs> we can put yes. it that way. Yes. Thank, thank you, you so much, Heather,
2: for having me on. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Talia.
0: There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education edx education would love to hear from you so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast which is available on apple podbean spotify TuneIn, and so many more this podcast series is brought to you by heather welch from edx education as she'd like to say let's create lifelong learners